0: Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, If it be yet in vain, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as as of the works of the law are under the curse For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abram and his seed were the promises made. He said not to the seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promises of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise." So far, the reading of God's Word. And in conjunction with that, we look at Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 15 in the back of your Psalters. Lord's Day 27. As Lord's Day is confronting different errors in the church, that the water itself of baptism is going to do something for you, and also that little children should be baptized, which others said no. Question 72, is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Answer, not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sin. 73. Why then doth the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? Answer. God speaks thus not without great cause, to wit, not only thereby to teach us that, As the filth of the body is purged away with water, so our sins are removed by the blood and the spirit of Jesus Christ, but especially that by this divine pledge and sign, he may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. Question 74. Are infants also to be baptized? And the answer, yes, for since they as well as the adult are included in the covenant and church of God, and since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the author of faith is promised to them no less than to the adult, they must therefore by baptism as a sign of the covenant be also admitted into the Christian church and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers as was done in the Old Covenant or Testament by circumcision, instead of which baptism is instituted in the New Covenant. May God bless his word to us and edify us. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have two sacraments in the church. We have two sacraments because that is what Jesus Christ himself has instituted. Jesus has instituted baptism as a sign and a seal that we have been baptized in Christ Jesus. This morning I'm going to focus on question and answer 74 because there are so many churches today that reject infant baptism. This is the theme of my sermon. There is by grace one people. There is one sign and God works in the line of generation. So the covenant basis for infant baptism, notice, the one covenant of God, the one covenant sign, and then thirdly, as application, the practical significance of this. There are those who reject infant baptism, practicing what they call only adult Baptism, or they like to call it believer's baptism. That was true in the history of the church when the catechism was written to combat errors. And there was the error of the Anabaptists. They did not want to count the baptism of the Roman Catholic Church as a legitimate baptism of children. And so they would baptize them again. They are those who reject, then, infant baptism. And their argument is that in the New Testament, there is taught only the baptism of believers. And they look at Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And the Baptist Church then links those two together. They say that is the proper order. One has to believe first, and only then can they be baptized. They say that we as Reformed churches are just continuing the error of the Roman Catholic Church. But notice... The Roman Catholic Church and the Reformed Church stand together on this subject. Children are included in the covenant. Children are included in the church. Children are saved just as well as parents are. Again, the Anabaptists would say, You show me a text. Show me one text that says you bring your children to church and baptize them. The question is wrong. Because in reality, there should not have to be a commandment in the New Testament to baptize your children. Because in the covenant, children are included And a sign is given to those children both in the Old Testament and now still in the New Testament. Behind their argument is a wrong reading of Scripture emphasizing the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament rather than similarity that the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. This group of Christians insists that there are two different peoples of God. There is, first of all, the Jews, which are the kingdom people. And they say then there is also the church. Two different peoples. Different things happen to them. Different promises made to them. Different futures for the two of them. Two different seeds of Abraham, they say. One is the real seed, and the other one is just called a seed of God. They would say that the Jews are the real and the natural Israel with special privileges, promises, a future. And they say that believers in the New Testament are called seed only in a figurative or a spiritual way. What is wrong with reading the scripture that way? They are pulling apart what God has put together. While the Bible will talk about the old covenant and the new covenant, what the Bible is really talking about there is the one covenant of God made with his people in Christ Jesus But in the New Testament, it is unfolded, it is opened up to show how Abraham is the father of many nations. There is one covenant God who makes one covenant with his people, one covenant people what is that covenant? It's important for us to know what the covenant is because there even in the Reformed churches, there's a difference of opinion, isn't there? There are those who say that the covenant is a mutual agreement between God and man. God makes a deal, in other words. God says, I will bless you and I'll do this for you if you do something also. They make it a conditional covenant. So they say that there are, that covenant can fall, is fallible. That people can break the covenant. So they're once in the covenant and then they fall out of the covenant. Is that true? Is the covenant just an agreement, a conditional agreement like one would make with a bank? The bank says, we'll lend you this money if if you pay it back with interest each month. In that kind of an agreement, if one fails to make those payments on time, the agreement is over and done with and the bank will take that house or that car that was borrowed against. But let's go to Genesis 17, verse 17. Is the covenant... Merely an agreement between two parties. Listen to what God says to Abraham I will be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee. That's not an agreement, but that's a promise, that is a relationship. God, God says, I will be your God and you are my people. A relationship. That covenant made with his people. That covenant finally fully realized and perfected when we come to heaven. We are his children now already by faith. In heaven there will be no more sin, no more temptation, but we will live. And go to the book of Revelation and you find that same kind of speaking as God did already in Genesis 17 to Abraham. I will be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee. Friendship friendship, which is often pictured in the Bible as God walking with his people or his people walking with their God, a relationship of friendship. We read in James chapter 2, and scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God and was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. What a beautiful relationship, one that God has made with us in Christ Jesus, established by God, maintained by God, realized by God, and will be perfected by God. Who is that covenant made with? There are those who look then at the Old Testament and say, that is with Abraham and with his physical descendants. But notice, the Bible says, no, that covenant is made with Abraham and his seed, and it is his spiritual seed. So the seed of Abraham is not just the Jews, but it is the elect. It is those who are the children of the promise, both in the Old and in the New Testament, We read in Romans chapter 4, verse 11, that Abraham is the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. Romans 4, verse 12, those who walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. Romans 4, verse 13, the promise was not made to Abraham and to his seed through the law, But through the righteousness of faith. So that we read in Romans 4, verse 17, he is a father of many nations. So while it is true in the Old Testament, the seed of Abraham were found primarily amongst the Jews, added to that were at times proselytes. Now in the New Testament, God's children are gathered. From all nations. So, what does that mean? The children of the promise are always those who are believers. Those and those only are the seed of Abraham. Romans 9, verses 6-8. through 8. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. For... Because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, they are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So if you boys and girls will remember, Abraham had more children, didn't he? He tried to get those children that God promised him, First of all, with a wrong relationship with Hagar, the servant, Ishmael, was born. But God says, no, no, Abraham, of you and your wife, Sarah, there will be children. In Sarah, there will be that elect child. And so God gave Isaac to them. Or think again of Isaac. Twins were born. But the covenant was not with both of those children. The covenant was with Jacob. For Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. So who are these seed of Abram? Who are the seed of the promise? And they are those who are believers in Christ Jesus. And to that one seed... There is that one same promise, that one way to obtain the promise. It is a righteousness by faith and not by works. So as I sum up this first point of the sermon, there is one covenant of God. Notice there is a threefold reason or ground for the baptism of our infants. Number one children are included in the covenant and in the church of god children are included hear that boys and girls you are not merely the church of the future but you boys and girls you are members of christ church baptized members one day confessing members number 2 the promise of the covenant is for you as well as for the adults and that promises that you are redeemed from all your sins by the blood and by the Spirit of Jesus Christ so thirdly the ground for the baptism of infants baptism is a sign a sign of the covenant just like circumcision was a sign of the covenant and so water baptism must be applied to our infants just as in the Old Testament, circumcision was to all the mem- male members of the church, of the family. One covenant God. He makes one covenant. And there's one covenant sign. That's my second point. One sign of the covenant. Although... Although its form, its mode has been changed. And its form and its mode has been changed because of the two different dispensations. In the Old Testament, there was circumcision. There was the cutting of the flesh because there would be blood, would not there? Blood looking forward to the blood that would be shed one day on the cross of Calvary. Just like the meal of the Old Testament was different than the meal in the New Testament. The meal that was done, the Passover meal, was done with the shedding of the blood of a lamb. And that blood then would be put over the doorpost. Looking forward to the blood that is once covering those who are in Christ Jesus, his precious blood on Calvary's cross. But Jesus Christ has come, hasn't he? And therefore there is no more need for blood. So while the Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus' suffering and death on the cross for our sins, now in the New Testament we look back to that one blood that was shed forever for our sins and there is no more need for blood. In fact, it's wrong to use blood any longer and that's why water is used. Water has replaced that blood as a picture of our covenant and of our redemption in Christ Jesus. We read in Colossians 2, of that beautiful truth. We read there, In whom, that is in Christ, in whom also ye were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, wherefore also ye are risen with him through faith, The operation of God hath raised him from the dead what does that verse say the Apostle Paul is speaking there in Colossians to the church which was made up of people from other nations that is they were the Gentiles and he says something really amazing there he says to you Gentiles you too were circumcised. Not with a circumcision done by hands, no blood being shed, but they were circumcised in their hearts because they were baptized into Christ Jesus. All those passages point out so clearly how the sign has been changed. One covenant, one sign, But the mode of that sign is different. No more blood. Not needed. Jesus Christ has suffered and died. His blood was shed on the cross. Now water comes in the sacrament of baptism. And in that one covenant, which we read about in our form, didn't we? The Lord included children. The Lord includes those children because they are part of the church. They are included in his covenant. Just as God told Abraham, you circumcise all of your household. Not only your children, but also your servants in the household. You put that sign upon them in faith. And now, our households, not just parents, but also our little children, are brought for baptism. They are members of Christ. They are members of Christ's church. They are included in God's covenant of grace. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, and they were as the Israelites were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Can you picture that a moment? When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. That's a picture of redemption, isn't it? Egypt is a picture of sin and bondage. Who were led out of that bondage? Not just adults, but families. Old and young carrying babes in their arms. All of them were baptized in Moses, who is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that form of the sign, circumcision in the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, water baptism, point to the inward work of God in the heart. It points to regeneration, regeneration. And sanctification, it points to the love of God for us. That's why in Thessalonians, no, in Titus 3, verse 5, we read about the washing of regeneration. And that is why baptism is only done once in one's lifetime, isn't it? Whereas the other sacrament, the Lord's Supper, is done over and over and over again. Why is the one once and the other one over and over? Because one can be included in the family of God only once. Once made a member of Christ, always a member of Christ. It cannot be repeated. But the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is done over and over because it's picturing our living in the covenant. And just as you need food and drink for your bodies to be healthy, For your life, so also we need Christ Jesus. We need to taste of Christ Jesus over and over, for he is our life. So there is, first of all, the argument. One covenant, God, one covenant, the sign has changed one people of God. Old Testament, New Testament. Not all those who were Jews, only those who were the spiritual seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So also today, God's children. Not only do we have that truth, And so I want you to see why do we have infant baptism, not just because the early church or not just because the Roman Catholic Church did it, but we do it like the Roman Catholic Church because of Scripture. There's one covenant, the covenant of grace. Moreover, we go to the Scriptures. We go to, for example, Acts chapter 10. When Peter goes to the house of a Gentile, Cornelius, he preaches the gospel as he is asked to do. And when Cornelius hears that gospel and his household hears that gospel, they are baptized. They are baptized, he and his whole household. Or you go to Acts chapter 16 where the gospel is being preached in Thessalonica. And the Apostle Paul meets their women down by the riverside, Lydia. And she hears the gospel. She believes the gospel. She believes in Jesus Christ. And she and her whole household were baptized. Or in that same chapter, Acts 16 you have Paul and Silas preaching there in Philippi. And because they are preaching there, and because they cast out an evil spirit out of a young girl, they're thrown into prison. And during the middle of the night, there's an earthquake. The chains fall off their hands and off their feet. And the jailer thinks that they have probably all left and he's ready to kill himself. And Paul cries out, don't don't do that. We're all here. And so then the Philippian jailer takes them in, washes their wounds, and Paul and Silas preach the gospel to the Philippian jailer and his household. And we read that the Philippian jailer and his household were baptized. Who's in a household? Doesn't a household include children that are born to us? Of course it does. But again, those who are against infant baptism would say, ah, the Bible doesn't say that there was infants there. Well, then let's go to one more text. Let's go to Luke chapter 18. There in Luke chapter 18, there are parents bringing children to Jesus. And what do we read there? The disciples wanted to send them away and Jesus doesn't let them. Rather we read, they brought unto him also, now notice the word, the Greek word is translated infants. Those that are still being nursed by their mothers, their breast, they brought unto Jesus also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called unto the, him, called them unto him, and he said, he called his disciples, "Suffer little children to come unto me." And that word there, little children, and again is that word infants. Suffer little infants to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. What's happening there? What is this that Jesus touches them and blesses them? This is not just a nice saying, hi, how are you? You're sure are cute. Jesus blessed them. He spoke a word of blessing to those children. Why? He says, bring those children, for of such, and I want you to notice the verb. He doesn't say, for of such shall be the kingdom someday when they get bigger. But he says, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. Children are in God's covenant. Children are are in God's church. They're members of that church. And therefore, just as circumcision was done in the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus' suffering on the cross, you and I looking back at the cross, at the blood that was all sufficient, water is now placed on the heads of our children. What a beautiful sign that is, isn't it? Called in Titus 3, verse 5, the washing of regeneration, or the washing away of sins. And the catechism says, now don't get the wrong idea. We don't have any magic water there. Some of the water is still stained on the wood around it. Some of it fell on the ground. It's just plain water because it's only a picture. There's nothing magical about that water. It is a sign that of faith, by faith, the faith of the parents, that God gathers his church, not just adults, but he saves believers and their children. Isn't that exactly what Peter also says in his sermon? In Acts 2, verse 39. We read there, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Circumcision, baptism. Circumcision, no longer done, not for spiritual reasons, for health reasons maybe, Or in the Philippines, it's a rite of passage into adulthood. But as far as the church goes, circumcision does not have any spiritual meaning. Christ died. Christ shed his blood once for all. Now there is the water. It shows the way that we enter into the kingdom. Jesus says we have to become like little children. Those who are filled with trust in the word that their father or their mother might give to them. We enter into the kingdom passively. We enter into the kingdom not because of our works, not because we're better than others, not at all. But we enter into the kingdom passively. It is God's great work. We enter into that kingdom even without knowledge. We enter into that kingdom by the power of grace alone. And that baptism pictures that new life. That's why it's called the water of regeneration. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? One cannot even see the kingdom of God except he is born again. And that is the picture of baptism. Born into God's family, by God's grace alone, washed from all of our sins, sanctified by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. There is, there is only one way to receive the kingdom as a little child without our works, without any effort on our part. Again, do you see? The covenant is not God doing something and us doing something. The covenant is God alone, by grace alone, chooses us as his children and incorporates us into his family. It is, beloved, in the line of generations. That's already evident, isn't it? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the mother promise... For you read there about the seed of the serpent and you read about the seed of the woman. God works in generations. He says to Abraham, I will make a covenant with thee and with thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and thy seed after thee. And that's why Peter in that beautiful Pentecost sermon says, the promise is unto you and to your children. Now let's understand that right. No, not all of our children are saved. You see, the Baptists would come to us and they say, we have only a believer's baptism. They have to believe first and then they're baptized. But even the Baptist has to, re- has to acknowledge all those who say they believe and are baptized, they don't always remain in the church, do they? There are hypocrites there too. So in our infant baptism, no, we're not saying that every one of our little children are saved. We know that the line of election and reprobation comes right in our homes, doesn't it? It came into the home of Abraham. Isaac had to be sent away God tells Noah, yes, listen to Sarah, send Ishmael away. He was teasing Isaac, the covenant child. Or in the household of Isaac. Were they both saved? There was twins. Before they had done anything good or bad, God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So we know that even in our families, the line of election and reprobation also is found. So then why do we baptize all of our children? Just as Abram was commanded to baptize all those in his household, not only his children but also his servants, we by faith, when God says he is going to establish his covenant in the line of our generations, we take that promise, not presuming that all of our children are saved, But we take that promise and we say God does promise that he will continue his covenant in our generations. So what is the reason that we baptize all of our children? It's that promise of God. I will be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. It is not the faith then of the child. The Baptists are right. A little child doesn't have that kind of knowledge that is necessary to know that there is a God and that they have to obey him. That is something that is explained to them by the parents, isn't it? Over and over as they grow up. Our children are baptized through the faith of the believing parents. In other words, we're holding God to his promise. He says, I will be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee in their generations. And we say, yes, God, we believe that promise. And therefore, we bring our children unto Jesus so that Christ, by his blood and by his spirit, wash them from all of their sins. That sign and that seal of the covenant Is a savor of life unto life for the children of the promise, but it is a savor of death to the reprobate. So this morning, think a moment, each one of us, adults and children, what does it mean that I was baptized in the church of Jesus Christ? And it means that you were separated out from the world, separated unto God, made His children. Made His children. Well, that brings me then to the third point, the practical significance. What is the practical significance of our bringing children as believers to be baptized? First of all, we have to have a right understanding about our covenant children. We have to have that right understanding in order to know how we are to instruct them. Number one, we do not view our children as little vipers or heathens. There are churches that do that. They don't allow their children to pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. We do not view our children that way. We view them, we treat them as God's children. We treat them as God's children who are elect. Yes, as I said earlier, we know that at times there are those reprobates also. It is not the case that every child that is baptized is a child of God. Just as Abram put the sign on all of his household, we put the sign on all of our children, believing that God gathers his children in our generations. We treat them as God's children. We treat them with the privileges. What kind of privileges? The privileges of going to church. The privileges of having the Bible opened at home. The privilege of prayer and obligations. We teach our children, you are not to be like all the children in the world. You're not to dress like the children of the world. You're not to act like the children of the world. You shouldn't have the kind of speech of the children of the world. You're God's children. There's an obligation then to obey God. And as far as who is saved and who is not saved, we submit. We submit to God's sovereignty in the election and salvation of his children. And we acknowledge it's only by grace, only by grace that any one of us, old or young, are saved. So second of all, what is the practical significance? The demands. The demands that are placed upon the parents of children. As parents... Zach and Lara, you have presented your children to the Lord in the church. That's not an option, that's a demand, isn't it? I want to emphasize that. There was once a pastor in a Reformed church and he said, well, fine, if you want them baptized, I'll baptize my kids, but I don't think it's necessary. It's necessary. It's God's command. And as you baptize your children you made promises before God. You made solemn promises. You said, we, to the utmost of our ability, promised to bring up these children in the truths confessed here in the churches. Day and night, you are called, Deuteronomy 6, to teach your children. And how wonderful that we have our Christian schools so that with all those different subjects to prepare them for their life in this world, we have Christian school teachers who will supplement the teaching of the home with our children. That's an obligation. But notice, thirdly, there is also a demand placed upon our children in baptism. Our children have the obligation to honor God and to obey their parents and to obey those who are in authority. God demands that kind of obedience of us. And that means as children and as we grow into teenagers, we have to show the evidence of that mark in our daily lives. The way we conduct ourselves, boys and girls, in school or the way we conduct ourselves as brothers and sisters in the home. And as you grow older, the kind of work that you go into. We live not for ourselves, but we live unto Christ Jesus. And that means, and thirdly, that when we come to a proper age to understand these truths, having been taught those truths, These baptized children stand up in the midst of God's people and they say, I believe it. I rejoice in what Christ Jesus has done for me. I rejoice in these precious truths that have been taught to me all these years. I make them my own. You see, they're baptized by the faith of their parents, but when they come to age, then their own faith is demonstrated. They stand up and they say, "I love Christ. I love his church. I love the truths that are taught to me." Boys and girls, you are members of the church. God loves you. He cares for you. You belong to him just as much as your parents. And you have to live for him. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for these children whom thou dost give to us. And we claim thy promise that thou wilt not only be a God of adults, but that thou art a God unto us and to our seed after us in our generations. We rejoice then, Father, As added to the church are these precious children, work, we pray, faith in their hearts and their lives, that they may live for thee. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let us open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. Yes, we have come this far in our looking at the book of Isaiah, and that's why chapter 7 is next. But also, with being gone two weeks in December, I thought it proper that we have a couple Advent sermons also, which this will serve. So, Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to read the first 16 verses. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalii, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his, this is Ahaz, heart was moved and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jeshav thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, in the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria, and the son of Ramaliai, Because Syria... Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Resin. and within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If thou wilt not believe, surely ye shall not be established." Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear now, Hear ye now, O house of David, is is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and to choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Verse 14 is our text. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah was a prophet of God to Judah. A prophet of the Lord to Judah during the reign of King Uzziah, King Jotham, then Ahaz, and finally King Hezekiah. Uzziah and Jotham were godly kings. They feared the Lord. But following those godly kings, Jotham's son Ahaz began to reign. And he was a very wicked king. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Not one word in scripture is spoken of him in good. He wallowed in idol worship. Boys and girls, just like pigs like to wallow in mud and in filth, this king wallowed in his iniquity, in his sins. He chose to serve the golden calves of Israel. He made all kinds of different images of Baal's. Each nation would have their own form of Baal and King Ahaz would try to make the form of each one of them for all the cities of Judah. He even sacrificed his children to the sacrifice of Moab's idol, which was Moloch. And then Ahaz saw at one time an altar in Damascus which he liked, it was an altar built to a Syrian god, and so he made a pattern of it, sent it back to the high priest in Jerusalem. He says, you make that kind of an altar for me. And that altar was built, and it was put, first of all, in the door of the outer court. But that wasn't good enough. Instead, finally, King Ahaz has it put right next to the altar of burnt offerings. And even that was not good enough, finally he cuts down the altar of the burnt offering so that all the sacrifices would be put upon this idol uh, altar. He broke all the vessels of God's house to pieces. He shut and he locked up the doors of the temple. Can you imagine what that would be like for us as God's people if the doors of all the churches were locked up here? He multiplied all those idols in the cities of Judah. Truly, King Ahaz was a fool. From Psalm 41 verse, Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says, there is no God. During that time, God would judge Ahaz and wicked Judah. Both Israel, the ten northern tribes, and Syria planned a campaign against Judah. The king of Syria would come from the south, and of course, the king of Samaria, Pekah, would come from the north. And they would try to completely defeat all the citizens of Judah. But not only that, they would seek to kill King Ahaz and to put one of their own kings on the throne, a son of Samaria. Can you see what that evil were trying to do? And through the evil nations, what Satan was trying to do. He was going to try to cut off the line of David to have a son of Syria there on the throne instead of a seed of David. He tried to prevent the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pekah's army killed 120,000 men in one day. And then God used Pekah also as a tool to destroy Judah for forsaking Jehovah. 200 captives, women and children, were taken away by Pekah up to Israel. But thankfully there was a prophet of the Lord in Israel who came to the princes and said, don't do this, you may not do this. Think of what's going to come to our nation if you do this against our brethren there in the south. And so those 200,000 captives were brought back again to Jericho. Why? Why did God allow all of this to take place with his people, Jerusalem, the daughter of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah? And the answer is because of their sins. Ahaz ruled for sixteen years. But there is still a small remnant in Judah who believe in God. As we heard earlier from the king, from Isaiah, there is a hut in a vineyard. There is a little cottage in a cucumber field. And for the sake of that remnant, God would not allow those two wicked nations to completely defeat Judah or to remove the line of David. There is coming judgment because Judah is just as guilty as King Ahaz is of idolatry. But there will not be total destruction. So Syria and Israel have come against Judah, they have made great gains, and now they're coming up against Jerusalem itself. And we read that Ahaz is shaking like a tree within a wind. Boys and girls, can you almost see the trees when there's a strong wind the branches are shaking back and forth, especially if there's leaves on it, and sometimes they're even broken down or tipped over. And that's exactly how Ahaz felt. He was shaking with fear. What am I going to do? And instead of trusting in the Lord, he looks over at the king of Assyria. The, king of Assy- the kingdom of Assyria is still further north than Syria. And he asked for his help. And that is why God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz. And he says, fear not. Quit shaking there like a tree. Put your trust in the Lord. For I am your salvation. I will not allow them to totally destroy you. And then God comes and he says, Since I am a God of salvation, that's my word to you. I will help you ask for a sign. You choose. You choose a sign up in the heavens or you choose a sign here on earth. Choose a sign that you may know that my word is true. King Ahaz acts pious. He says, I will not ask for a sign. I will not tempt the Lord. Oh, he acts pious, doesn't he? But really, he is wicked. He is unbelieving. He doesn't want to obey God's voice. He doesn't want to trust in God. He wants to trust in Assyria to help him. That's what Psalm 146, that was our call to worship, is all about. Don't trust in princes. Don't trust in men. Trust in your God. I will not ask for a sign, says Ahaz. I will not tempt your God. But God is in control, isn't he? God insists that King Ahaz is going to have a sign, and Jehovah God Himself is going to give that sign. So there is the word of the Lord, but there is also a vision that Isaiah has a vision where he not only sees a hundred or so years in advance of the captivity of, Israel, of Judah in Babylon, and they're coming home. But Isaiah is given a vision that goes for five, six hundred years into the future. Behold, he says, I see, I see a virgin. She's pregnant. She gives birth to a male son. And she calls his name Emmanuel. Boys and girls, that name, Emmanuel, is a beautiful name. It means God with us. And that vision is now given to King Ahaz. Here is a sign. Here is a vision. I just portrayed it to you. You have the word of God, and now you have a sign. Believe. A great sign. But Ahaz will not believe. He will not trust in the Lord, he will not obey God's word, and he will not listen to the sign that is given to him. Ahaz, stubborn, defiant, rebellious, a complete lack of trust in the power of God and the faithfulness of God. You see, faith shows itself in obedience. And unbelief shows itself in disobedience. So we have a beautiful sign. Notice with me, she shall call his name Emmanuel, the divine sign, the divine wonder, and thirdly, a covenant promise. Ask for a sign. I will not, he says. God says, I'll give you a sign. Notice the idea of a sign. Visible realities, things that you can see that portray things that are hidden or yet in the future. Heavenly realities. In catechism, some of you boys and girls will remember how I would put on the whiteboard a sign with a big curve arrow. There you see the sign, it's telling you about something that is ahead on the road that slowed down a little bit because there's going to be a sharp curve in the road. A sign is something that you see that pictures something that is ahead that is hidden yet to your view. All things are signs because God made this earthly creation in such a way that it would speak about spiritual things, invisible things, heavenly things. What are some of those heavenly things? Isn't there the sun that rises every morning that dispels the darkness of night? The sun that gives light and heat and therefore life. And that sun in creation is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? From Malachi, the Son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. So every morning, if you get out of bed in time, look at that sun as it's rising. You've got a picture of Christ Jesus. Or tonight... Get away from all the lights on the parking lot. Look up in the sky. It's full of stars. And those stars, we are told in Scripture, are a picture, a sign of God's children. The children of Abraham. The church of Jesus Christ is going to be so many innumerable children. A great throng. Or two days ago, or was it yesterday? That strong wind that was blowing all around us with its coldness. What a picture of the hidden reality, the Spirit, whose name Spirit is also breath or wind. The Spirit comes, and even though you can't see the wind, you can see what he does. We could go on with these many signs, couldn't we? We could talk about bread. The bread that you eat on your table. A picture of Jesus Christ, who is the bread that came from heaven or manna. Water. Water is a picture of the Holy Spirit and it's flowing and its influence in our life. Refreshing. There is the lion, there is the lamb. These are all signs in creation, created by God in such a way that they point to spiritual realities. And God's word helps us to understand many of those realities. Those signs accompany the word of God. They don't stand by themselves. Notice there was the word of God to King Ahaz, fear not, trust in me. And then God gives a sign to back up that word. I am faithful. I will do what I say. I will not allow the enemy to completely defeat my people, the church. There's going to be a remnant remaining. Those signs are meant usually for believers, It is to confirm the word of God that they hear with their ears. It's kind of like boys and girls in catechism. Not only do I speak and you hear me speaking, but often I'm writing on the board, either making a map or whether writing notes down there, so that through the ear we hear and with the eye we see and we believe, we understand. (coughs) So also in God's word. He gives signs. But signs are also given in our passage here to unbelievers, and they have significance. Do you remember when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees? They were clamoring for some signs, and we read there in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus' rebuke of those Pharisees and Sadducees. We read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto them, that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who wanted him to show them a sign. He answered and he said unto them, When it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, you hypocrites! Ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it except the sign of the prophet Jonas. yes. Give us signs to show us that you are really who you say you are, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, There's one sign that was given already. Look at Jonah. Jonah, who they knew was three days in the belly of the fish. And when he called out to the God, the fish vomited him out on dry ground. Jesus was saying, there is a sign of who I am and what's going to take place. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be put to death. But on the third day, I will rise again. So signs are usually given to believers, but signs are also to given to unbelievers to leave them without any excuse. They heard the word of God. They saw the sign that God gave them And they hardened their hearts. Ahaz, stubborn, defiant, and rebellious. He would not trust in the God of Judah and Jerusalem to save him, to help him. There is, therefore, that twofold purpose of signs. It leaves the wicked without any excuse While it strengthens the child of God in his faith. God indeed is with his people. God is faithful to his covenant. So that's the purpose of signs. And now notice with this sign we read that it is a sign from the Lord. That's very emphatic in the case of Ahaz. For we read in verse 11... Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. He's the one who's going to give it. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz refused to believe the word of God. He's still shaking there in his shoes. He's looking over at the king of Assyria to help him rather than calling upon Jehovah, the God of Judah and of Jerusalem. The Lord gives that sign to confirm his word. So there is the vocal voice coming through Isaiah, speaking God's word, But then there is that vision of Isaiah, a vision that is now passed on to this wicked king. The Lord will give a sign. I will remember my covenant. I will not destroy my church. God would bring judgment against wicked Judah, but he will not totally destroy her. He will not destroy the throne of David. But Christ Jesus will come into this world to save his people. God gives signs. He has given signs in the past. Think a moment, boys and girls, of Gideon. He is of one of the least families of a little tribe of Benjamin. He is called to go against the enemies of God, and he's shaking, he's afraid. And he asked for a sign, and you'll remember the sign of the fleece, that the fleece one morning would be full of dew and the ground is dry, and then on the other morning, when the ground is all going to be wet and the fleece will be just as dry as could be, he gave that kind of sign. You'll remember, boys and girls, the sign that God gave to Noah and his family and still to us. When it starts raining again, does Noah have to be afraid? Oh no, here we go with another flood worldwide. No, the rainbow was there in the sky. It will not happen that way again. Today we don't go for those kind of signs like fleece. Because we have the completed word of God. And I want to emphasize that a moment. Not in a fleece. I know of a man who was entertaining a job away from the church. And so he asked the Lord for a sign. He says, Lord, if they offer me so much more money than what the position is worth, then I'm going to take that as a sign I should take the call and go there. Come on now. Is that really a sign of the Lord? Or is it his own covetousness and his greed? If they pay me enough, yes, I'll leave the church here and I'll go where there is not one of our churches. We don't ask for those kind of signs anymore, but God does give us still signs. We have this sign of the Virgin. We have that vision given to us in our passage. We have the sign that is given to us this morning. And we had the sign a couple weeks ago with communion. Besides the word that is preached, God puts his word also in pictures for us to help our faith. Will my sins be forgiven? Well, as you see water that is put on the baby's head this morning, just as water washes away dirt, so the blood of Jesus surely washes away all of our sins. Believe. Or as food helps us to have physical strength. We need to eat and we need to drink. So also spiritually, when we partake of Christ Jesus, we need that strength, that spiritual strength, each day of our life as Christians. A sign is given. And now in this case, the sign that is given is a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now there are those who want to say, well, in order for that sign to have any meaning for King Ahaz, it had to be something in his lifetime. It must be there, the prophet and the prophetess having their son, that son that he takes along before King Ahaz. But the word that is used in the Hebrew is not a word that is used for married young ladies. It is a word for those who are single, for those who have not known a man, a virgin. And a virgin is going to give birth. She's going to become pregnant and give birth, and not just to any kind of child, she's going to give birth to a son. And his name shall be called, she calls that name, Emmanuel. That vision is given right now to King Ahaz, that unbelieving king. I care about my people. And I will rescue my people. I will rescue them not only from the enemies that seek to destroy them, but I will save them from themselves, from their sins. I will give my son. It is a sign that God does the impossible. A virgin conceive. Never did that happen before. Never did it happen before. afterwards. God does the impossible. A virgin conceives, is made pregnant, and gives birth. And Ahaz will not believe it. But God's children do. For if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, when Mary the virgin is found pregnant and Joseph finds out about it, in his mind the only thing that he can conceive of is she was unfaithful. She went unto another man instead of unto me. And that's why the angel came to him. We read, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then we read, Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him. His wife. Ahaz, no way. I don't want to hear the word of God. I don't want to trust in the Lord. And no, I don't want a sign from him. I don't want to believe it. By the grace of God, Joseph, what it seems impossible, believes. And he takes Mary as his wife this sign given all these years ahead given in a vision now fulfilled christ comes into the world you see the word of god stands god is faithful to his covenant people the promise that he made to adam there in the garden about the woman the seed of the woman will defeat the seed of the serpent is indeed true God is faithful so notice we have a divine sign second of all then we have a divine wonder miracles are often called signs and wonders so not only does it portray beforehand what is going to take place or what is hidden yet from sight but second of all A miracle is something that is amazing. It it causes you to drop your jaw and say, Wow! A wonder, a divine wonder. And that is why Isaiah, as he brings this sign of the Lord, says, Behold, look, look at this. God does what is humanly impossible. And if God is able to do that which is humanly impossible, are you afraid of those little armies of resin or of Pekah? God is able to defeat them. Ahaz, what are you shaking like a leaf for? Why are you trusting in the king of Assyria? Trust in the Lord. We have here a sign that God will defeat his enemies and he will deliver and save his people. God is the God of the wonder. What are those enemies? It's not only Israel, the ten tribes. It was not only Syria, but the church in this world is always surrounded with enemies that hate them. Just as Enoch was surrounded by those who would like to kill him as he would prophesy, and God took him out of, up to heaven. As the wicked world came against Noah, God saved Noah and belie- believing Noah and his family with a flood, destroying the enemies. God is the God of wonders. A wonder here, which is a mystery of godliness we read in the Bible. What does that mean? He is the divine son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit. He brings about a salvation that man could never think about himself let alone do himself. For human parents can only bring forth sinful children. But now God Is going to come down from heaven himself and take to himself also a human nature so that he may stand in our place and save people like you and me. Wretched sinners who can't save themselves, who must look away from themselves to the God of their salvation, the God of the scriptures, the Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our God and our Father. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Mary's firstborn. And as Mary's firstborn, he opens up Mary's womb so that there may be more sons and daughters born to Mary and to Joseph, But he is also God's firstborn. That is, firstborn in God's mind. He's first. And in Christ Jesus, there is a church. Through Christ Jesus, the firstborn, there are many sons and daughters of God through adoption. Through Christ, God's only begotten Son. Mystery of godliness, why would God do that? Who could conceive of such a salvation? A mystery that is revealed to us in the scriptures. There's one young man that was just beginning preaching and he wanted to take on that whole concept of the mystery of godliness in the Bible. And he finally concluded, yes, it's all a mystery to me how in the world why God chose me and saved me. Well, that's true. But in the scriptures, when you read about this mystery of godliness, it is a mystery that God reveals, opens up in the scriptures so that we may know it. That's what Jesus Christ was doing to those two men, those two disciples, not two men, those two disciples on the way to Emmaus too, wasn't it? He opened up their mind. He opened up the scriptures so that they could understand that he had to suffer all these things and he had to die this death in order to save wretched sinners like you and me. A wonder. It is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ that we see the beginning of the realization of God's covenant with us. Oh, there are other wonders in redemption, aren't there? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a wonder One who was dead, now made alive, he himself comes alive. Yes, there were others who were raised temporarily by Elijah, Elisha. But Christ Jesus arose from the dead, showing that he had taken away the sins of all God's people, that we are justified. And Pentecost, what wonderful wonders and signs there, wasn't there? There was the sound of a mighty rushing wind, even though there was no wind outside. And there was the looks of what were tongues of fire resting upon the disciples' head. Those were signs given to the disciples And to the people of Jerusalem, that they might know the word of God, of what He has done. He has given His Spirit, He's poured it out as He promised. You and I raised from dead to life. Isn't that a wonder? How could it be? We who were filthy, we who were enemies of God, how is it that we're made friends of God? It's through the wonder of God's grace. But I say the incarnation is the central wonder because without that wonder, those other wonders would never take place. Without God becoming man and standing in our place, taking away our sins, there would not be the resurrection from the dead. There would not be the Holy Spirit that is poured out in the church. There would not be the salvation of wretched sinners like you and me but all made possible through the divine wonder, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, born from the Virgin Mary. What a sign, the wonder. A sign that the wicked reject. Ask the wicked, who is Jesus? And they might say he was a good man, he was a wonderful teacher, but they will deny that he is the very Son of God who came down from heaven, born of a virgin, in order to suffer and die for our sins, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, sitting now on his throne in heaven, coming again no that the wicked will not they cannot believe because they have not the spirit of Christ to impart that grace to believe but oh the sign of the wonder that a Joseph when the angel explains it to him doesn't question anymore his intended pregnant already not by another man but God says by the Holy Spirit and he believes and he takes her for his wife and you and I hearing that gospel story we don't scratch our heads and say it's so hard to believe that sign we take by faith and we say I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten by the the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and he died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Don't you love the Apostles' Creed that we confess every evening and the other creeds? God gives us his grace that we hear his word and we take that sign that he is attached to that word and we believe. God come in the flesh to dwell amongst us. Oh, God is always amongst his people. He's always. But there were pictures in the Old Testament of it the picture of that cloud that would lead the Israel during the day and that pillar of fire by night. And of course, there was that picture of the tabernacle set right in the midst of all the other tents. And later on, the temple built in Jerusalem in the center of the nation of Israel. But now, the sign of the wonder, Christ. That is God himself in our midst, growing up as a young child in order to be our savior, our mediator. Christ in our midst now still by his spirit and by his word. We're not left all to ourselves. Ahaz thought he was left to himself or he was left to lean upon the king of Assyria. For his help. Some trust in princes, some trust in men, but we, from Psalm 146, will trust in the Lord. He is our God. So notice with me then, thirdly, the covenant promise. That name, Emmanuel. There's a Christmas song by that, isn't it? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That was the hope of God's people all through the Old Testament. Oh, that that seed of the woman, oh, that that seed singular of Abraham, oh, that that seed of David would come and sit upon the throne fulfilled. Fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. The name means God with us now with us in an intimate way different than for example the tabernacle setting in the midst of the other tents different from the temple in jerusalem god christ jesus in our midst by his word and by his spirit so that we are never alone we never walk alone we don't trust in ourselves or in others around us but we have Christ Jesus always with us. Every day, every moment, no matter what trial you and I are forced to go through, no matter what sick bed we have to sit next to, no matter what sins bombard us from within and from without, you and I are not left to ourselves. Christ is with us. The wonder God uniting himself with us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ that is how God continues to save his people he comes to them even as he came to Adam and Eve in the garden while they were hiding from him God came to them to rescue them and to clothe them by means of blood. God comes to his people here that are very wicked, disobeying them. Judah is just as culpable for all the idolatry as King Ahaz. God comes to them, judging them in order to chase off the chaff that is there. But God comes to them also in his love, giving them this vision of their ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the fulfillment of the covenant. And that's what this is all about, isn't it? The covenant that Adam broke. God made him to be a friend and a servant to live for him and with him. God walking in the garden with him and Adam disobeyed, the covenant broken and Adam can only bring forth sinful children like himself. God gives another, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. He is the obedient son. He is the one who is going to merit for us righteousness so that you and I, through Adam, who are sinful, dead in sin, are made now children of Christ Jesus, made righteous through his righteousness and the punishment for our sin taken away. That sign comes to a wicked people with a wicked king, and they will not believe. They will not believe to their own destruction. And later on, this king of Assyria, that king Ahaz was hoping and leaning upon, comes to destroy Ahaz, and even puts him to death. But there's the Joseph, isn't it, in Matthew chapter 1. And yes, there is by God's grace you and I today. We live in a world which would rather at Christmas time look at trees and presents and the things that our hands can bring us. But you and I look away from ourselves to what God brings us. What he has brought us in his son Jesus Christ, what he continues to bring us salvation, full and free. Looking ahead, to the great salvation that is ours when Jesus comes again and there will be no more sin, no more Satan, no more sorrow, no more disappointments, no more sickness, no more death. This vision that Isaiah is given and is handed over to King Ahaziah who will not believe it is fulfilled in Joseph and in Mary. Mary, can you imagine a moment she's told that she's going to have a baby even though she doesn't know a man and she rejoices that she could be the handmaiden of the Lord? What would it mean for her? It probably mean that her parents would look at her kind of cross-eyed. What are you saying? That all her relatives probably looked at her like she was a sinner. That even her intended Joseph might even want to put her away. But she rejoiced that she could be the mother of our Lord, Joseph. Rather than taking things as he thought that they were, she must have been unfaithful. He hears the word of the Lord through the angel. The vision that is fulfilled and he believes. And he becomes a stepfather to our Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph, while he can't understand the conception of our Lord Jesus Christ, believes. He believes God's word and the sign that was given to him. And you and I are confirmed in our faith in the God of our salvation. God says, I am faithful. I will save my people to the uttermost. And here's a picture of it. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And she shall call his name Emmanuel. The birth of Jesus who will save his people from all their sins. That's the fulfillment of this promise. So that you and I now through Christ Jesus have fellowship with God. We're not afraid of him. We're not afraid of his wrath because Jesus took that wrath in our place And instead, there is grace that flows to us. There is love that flows to us. We have that by faith, produced by the preaching of the word and the signs of the sacraments. And one day, one day we will perfectly see our Lord Jesus when he comes again on the clouds of glory and every eye will see him. And the wicked are going to call for the mountains to cover them because they're afraid of him for good reason. But you and I welcome that day. And that's why we even pray, isn't it? Come, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Yes, the word, the signs, whether it be a baptism or the Lord's Supper confirming our faith, God is with us. God is our salvation. He will save us to the uttermost. Amen. Oh, Father, what a beautiful vision was given to the prophet to see some 700 years beforehand the birth of our Lord. What a precious vision was given to a wicked man who would not believe but rebelled. What a wonderful vision is given to us, thy saints. For we hear thy word proclaimed. We see that sign that was portrayed, that was given, was fulfilled, and we fall down to worship Jesus. Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. To live for him, for faith demonstrates itself in obedience. Bless us, Father, in this coming week, that thy word may go with us and may comfort us and may strengthen us to live for thee as thy people, saved by grace. Amen.